At some point in their relationship, most couples experience difficulty with sexual desire. Mm. And it's because they don't understand desire. They sometimes see this as an end to their sexual intimacy in the relationship. Sexual desire problems are a universal experience. Couples who start out barely able to keep their hands off of each other usually find out sooner or later that the desire they have isn't the same. Why is that? Is it just hormones or is it something else? The truth is there's a much deeper and more profound reason which we are excited to share with you today. Did you know the average couple waits six years to get help in their marriage? Yeah, that's six years of pain, hurt, and frustration. Hi there, I'm Charlotte Snow. And I'm Robert Snow. And welcome to Master Your Marriage. Where we believe that having an amazing marriage should never feel like hard work and shouldn't be a guessing game. This is the show for married couples who want to discover a scientifically proven approach to building a masterful marriage and have fun while doing it. So if that's you, you're in the right place. Let's dive in. Okay, so. Okay. Here we go. Um, I'm I'm nervous today because I'm going to share something that it has my heart is racing. So first of all, I'm just going to warn my parents and my kids who may or may not be listening anyway that I'm going to talk about some pretty vulnerable things today and I'm going to s- share some stories that you've probably not heard. So if you're listening, I am actually happy you're here. Um just know that some of the things that I share might be a little bit triggering. But I hope that in sharing my story, it will actually help you. So I grew up in a very religious community with a strong purity culture, Mm -hmm. meaning I was expected to abstain from all sexual encounters until marriage. I was also raised with a belief that sexual sin was one of the worst possible sins. Yeah, I don't think that's true. And... You know, as youth, we were expected to make commitments that we would not engage in sexual sin before getting married. And I'm not saying that I disagree with the concepts, but I am saying there's definitely a better way to be able to handle that topic with kids. Absolutely. So we were pretty regularly exposed to metaphors and stories and ideas and lessons that taught us that if we engaged in any kind of sexual encounter, that we would be bad, that we would be unclean, that we would never be the same again, that we would be unworthy and tainted, I guess. And not that the sin was bad, but that the sinner was bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. but that wasn't the message, right? So guilt and shame and unworthiness were some big major themes in in my youth. So on top of that, I also had a lot of sex negative suggestions from my mom. So of course, you already know that my parents were divorced by this time. And I, but the thing is, is interesting as I think back and I try to remember, I, I don't recall any, any stories that she ever told me or any kind of conversation where she was positive about sex. The messages that I got were more like, well, you know, it wasn't all that great anyway. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, we always have to look back at the, at the way people approach things and it was likely her way of trying to just keep you into that model, right? If, mm-hmm. if you didn't think it was a big deal, you probably wouldn't go looking for it. I'm sure you're right. Yeah. Not sure it was successful, but oh, I'm yeah. sure you're right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right? And on top of that, I also was told or taught that intercourse was the only way that God sanctioned couples to have sex. So oh, that no. 
Yeah. So that meant if you were one of the, now we know, 80% of women that are unable to orgasm through penetration, well, I mean, that just wasn't, that wasn't something you would talk about. That was just anything other than penetration would be deviant, right? Absolutely. So needless to say, I had a lot of baggage coming into our marriage, a lot of sexual shame and trauma and a lot of confusion that I had to process. And then we got married and, you know, I was young, as you guys know, I was 19 and things didn't work out instantly <laughs> as easily as they appear to in, in the movies. So both people screaming at the same time. Yeah, that didn't happen. Yeah, no, that didn't happen. And and because of that, and I that's really, okay, actually. it is. But because of that, and I didn't know it was okay, I really struggled. And yes, Robert was and is like an incredible lover and totally giving and selfless and he loves to please me more than anything, but still I struggled. I struggled within me. So that would cause me to loop back into feeling unworthy, to feeling unlovable, to feeling not good enough, not a good partner, to feeling shameful. And sometimes I would bounce back into jealousy and defensiveness. And I wish I would have known mm -hmm. that these were the feelings that you had because, you know, I mean, early on in your relationship when when one or more partners struggling with this sense of self, this fragile self. That we're going to talk about yeah, today. Then, then the other one just sort of feels abandoned, I guess. And we're going to talk about that as well. Yeah. And, and you didn't know, so you thought it was you. Yeah. I thought I was doing something wrong. Yeah. Well, I was definitely certain that it was me. I was certain that there was something wrong with me. And Honestly, the thought that kept coming back into my mind back then that it was probably God punishing me. And that's a terrible thought. It is. So, okay, we're going to put a pen in this story for just a second. I'm going to come back to it at the end of the episode to tell you what happens because right now I think we need to tell you something really important. Okay. So, problems with desire and sexuality are totally normal mm -hmm. and natural. If you're dealing with sexual problems or desire problems, you are normal and you are not alone. Exactly. And I wish I'd known that because for so many years I beat myself up. I thought I was a freak. And that's because we're told our whole lives that sex is a normal function and it should come easy and it should be natural. And saying that sex is normal and natural sounds good. It sounds really sex positive. But the problem with it is that when things don't line up exactly the way that they look in the movies or that you think that they should, you start to feel really screwed up and defective. And this soundtrack sort of goes on in your mind like, geez, something must be wrong with me. Something must be wrong with me. And it runs on repeat. And those thoughts can be really destructive. You know, they, they certainly don't help with desire. They probably lower desire even more and can cause a person to get pretty low and kind of depressed. Yeah. And here the whole time she was feeling this and I thought that it was me. I didn't realize what was going on. Yeah. You know, exactly. and so the t the same is true with any sexual problem, whether it's desire or something else. When you believe that sex always works naturally and easily, um, and then that is not your experience, right. it's easy to go down the rabbit hole with, I'm defective or there must be something wrong. Gotta with be me. something wrong with me. Yeah. And believe me, if you feel like you're dysfunctional, there it, that it's pretty tough to get turned on and to have desire. So, nor is feeling less than useful in, in this type of a situation when addressing sexual desire problems. No, not at all. But here's the truth. And this 
hopefully brings you immense relief today. You ready? I'm ready. Having sexual desire problems in a relationship is 100% normal. And it happens in every relationship and nothing is wrong with you. Nothing is wrong with you. And you know what? I'm going to add to that, that there's always a higher desire partner and a lower desire partner. Always. Yeah. Always. And this is a major paradigm shift from how most people think about desire. Most people look at desire problems like, oh, well, I guess the attraction is gone and I guess it's over. It's gone. Yep. And they don't know how to move past that and they don't know how to become lovers again. Mm. But when you understand desire and what really causes us to lose that desire, you have a lot more freedom and a lot more choice to be able to do something different in those situations. But since people don't understand it, they go looking for every quick fix that's out there to try to help their lower desire partner get more turned on, have more desire, have more fun. And they might resort. Spice it up. Yeah, let's figure out how to spice it up. And they might resort to anything from porn, which has been shown more and more recently to be corrosive and destructive to relationships, to supplements or testosterone or boosting hormones or whatever. So none of those really is a lasting solution because none of these things mm -hmm. um, are really addressing the core problem. Mm -hmm. So let's recap. Yeah. One, sexual problems of a normal, healthy marriage. Mm -hmm. And two, all relationships have a high desire person and a low desire person and that is normal. And those just, roles can sometimes switch. They can switch. But just because those things are normal doesn't mean they are fun. It doesn't mean that they feel great. Right. And in fact, these issues can cause a lot of heartache, some yeah. rejection, and feelings of not being enough. And then the high desire person starts to feel manipulated and controlled. Or the lower desire partner might get defensive. They might feel defective. They might feel frustrated. And so why do most all relationships actually go through this then? Because we all do, right? And the interesting thing is that we tend to think, just like with any other conflict, that sexual desire problems actually have a greater positive purpose. Are you nuts? How can a <laughs> sexual desire problem be helpful in your relationship at all? Well. I mean, I know the answer, but I'm, I still want to just uh, ask no, what everyone else is thinking. I know. Yeah. Well, let me answer that by sharing a little bit about the late Dr. David Schnarch. So yeah. he created a system called the Crucible Approach, and he's the author of several books, including Intimacy and Desire, which is an amazing book that we'd recommend. We'll put the link in the show notes. And Dr. Schnarch always says that marriages are people growing machines and sexual problems like any other conflict have the potential to stretch our souls and help us grow. Exactly. And in his work, Dr. Schnarch um, expanded on and explained Helen Fisher's work, which in her work, she said that there's basically three drives of love and desire. And all of these drives, by the way, have actually been found, um, been able to be mapped in the brain using functional MRI. So the first one would be lust, which is all about craving for sexual satisfaction. Mm -hmm. And the second... Um, Drive is romantic love, which is all about being infatuated with your partner. So in love. Mm, yeah. And the third one, the third drive is attachment, which is really more about this connection and intimacy and bonding. And on top of that, Dr. Schnarch 
proposes that there's a fourth drive. There's which, a fourth? Which is your sense of self, the yep. drive to develop and preserve a self. And we're going to talk about what that is. So a flexible but strong sense of self means really knowing your unique identity and what sets you apart from others. It's having an inner knowing of who you are and that you are good enough. This strong sense of self or selfhood mm -hmm. probably controls your desire more than lust, romantic love, or attachment, probably even more than your hormones do. Mm. How you see yourself, how you see your partner, mm -hmm. and how you think your partner sees you is a massive driver of sexual desire. Absolutely. And you can be pumped up with all the hormones and be totally turned on, but one harsh word, one perceived attack from your partner can bring it all crashing down. Yeah, because it does that when we have a fragile sense of self. When our sense of self is fragile, then desire is all over the place. It's like a roller coaster. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. Simply because our sense of self isn't strong and it gets easily injured. So... For example, a man might struggle to maintain or have an erection because his wife may have inadvertently attacked his self-worth. Or a woman might not be able to get turned on at all because her husband was unable to listen to how stressful her day had been. Our bodies literally push the brakes because our fragile self-ego becomes then threatened. And it won't, and hormones won't fix that. All the testosterone in the world isn't going to change that fact. It'll fix a lot of things, but it won't fix the weak sense of self. Exactly. So according to Dr. David Schnarch, developing and maintaining yourself shapes your sexual desire as much as hormones, horniness, lust, or even infatuation. The ebb and flow of your sexual desire is greatly controlled by the battles of selfhood that inevitably surface in love and relationships. Woof. And here's the sad truth about that. Most people have no idea who they really are. Most people have such a fragile self, especially when it comes to things like romance, that it only takes a small perceived insult to kill their sexual desire. And we can talk a little bit about vulnerability here because when you're in that position, when we're talking about being naked and other things, right? Mm. This is when you're the most vulnerable. This is when you need the strongest sense of self. Good point. And so you're even more susceptible to these perceived attacks. And when we don't have a flexible, solid self, we then look to our partner to prop us up to reinforce who we are. When we have a weak sense of self, our locus of self-worth comes from outside of ourselves rather than from within us. So that is when we need our partner to tell us we're okay in order for us to feel okay. Or we need our partner to calm our anxieties, insecurities, or our fears about our inner self. And this actually has a name. It's called a reflective sense of self, which means that I am not sure of who I am without being able to first see myself in your eyes. I need you to make me feel positive about myself. That's a reflective sense of self. And unfortunately, this doesn't work for very long because our partner is not capable of always providing validation. And the minute they don't, our center of self-worth just gets eviscerated. Hmm. And when that happens, so does our sexual desire. So, which forces us either to give up hmm. or grow up because our partner up. will always expose those parts in us that are underdeveloped 
or and or filled with anxiety and insecurity. Yeah, I'm voting for let's grow up. That sounds yeah, better. I like that too. Mm -hmm. So we have to grow ourselves by being able to manage our own anxieties rather than expecting our partner to make us feel okay. And by shifting that locus of self-worth to come from within. And, and in doing this, it also allows us to be okay with one another's differences. Oh, for sure. Because realistically, if I'm solid with who I am, why would I need to get defensive or even upset if my partner saw something or had a different opinion than I do? Yeah, that's a good point. If I know who I am and you know who you are, then why would we need to take offense or feel attacked when our partner simply expresses a difference of opinion, for example? Yeah, the answer is we, we wouldn't. This is our sense of fragile self or the ego feeling attacked. So coming back to my story, coming back to the beginning that I shared at the beginning, I had a lot of work to do, obviously, to unravel my stories and to really be okay, to develop this sense of self and to be, really be okay with being me and having that come from within. I had a lot of baggage that I had to process to feel good in my own skin, to feel like my body was perfect and normal the way that it is. It is. Yeah. And to feel like I didn't need to hide, to... I had to let go of a lot of guilt and shame that wasn't even mine, that belonged to someone else. I had to let go and to let all of me be seen, right? And to let all of me be loved because I also loved it too. And because I loved it too, I could allow him to see it. That's amazing. And I also had to do a lot of work to unroot and not be tied to what other people's opinions of me were. And I had to develop a lot more inner resilience and a lot more inner calm. And now I don't need, you know, him to prove to me that I am enough because it isn't his job. I love that he does. I love that he loves me completely, you know, freckles and freckles all. Freckles and all. Yeah, but it's my job to be able to stand on my own two feet, to be whole, to be able to manage my own insecurities, my own triggers, my own anxieties, and not expect him to manage those things for me. And this is the life journey for each of us. It is. The relationship journey. Sadly, it is one that people are unwilling to make because they want to hold on to their spouse, um, constantly having their spouse prop up their fragile sense of self. Yeah. But as we have done this work together over the years, I can tell you that my desire and my attraction for him has actually gotten greater as we've gotten older that it's even better than it was in the early days. It's different. It's it's definitely a more mature attraction, a more mature desire, but it's actually a better desire. And it's certainly not because we're, you know, skinny and, you know, really great looking because we're older now. We have more wrinkles and more cellulite and, you know, and our bodies maybe aren't the way that they looked back when we were 20, but it's better. Um, desire and attraction can actually become greater. It's absolutely amazing. It just gets better every year. Yeah. Absolutely. And this came and continues to come from being secure and honest in who we are and allowing ourselves to be fully seen, to be fully vulnerable. Yeah. While also accepting and appreciating the differences in the other person. Mm. As Dr. Schnarch says, cellulite and sexual potential are correlated. Absolutely. People only have sex up to the limits of their own inner work and development. 
the more that you evolve as a couple, the more that we co-evolve as a couple and we work on ourselves, the more fun, the more creative, the more passionate, and the more meaningful sex actually becomes for us. And this is what makes healthy monogamous relationships so rich and so meaningful. I think that wraps up this episode. I'm no longer nervous, so that's a good thing. Are you feeling better? Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us today. If this episode resonated with you, will you please drop us a five-star review and share something you found valuable? Reach out to us on, on social media as we'll be making posts about this topic. We'd love to interact with you. As always, be kind to each other, take care of each other, put each other first. It's the small and simple things every day that create strong relationships. Until next time. Thank you for listening to Master Your Marriage. If you have a topic you'd like us to cover, then we want to hear from you. Just go to MasterYourMarriagePodcast.com and send us your question. Oh, and while you're there, you can also check out our retreats and events and even apply for coaching. And make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you get advanced notice of when the next episode drops, plus show notes and many extras. Thanks again for tuning in.